welcome to Truth Well Spoken, the official podcast for McCann Health and an opportunity to connect across disciplines, companies, and countries in our mutual pursuit of endless truth-seeking. I'm your host, Dina Ragab, and for episode 18, I'm speaking with Kirsten Crumb, Kurt Freed, Jennifer Grayson, and Colleen Hinesley, who are joining us from across both McCann Health New Jersey and McCann Global Health. They've been kind enough to take the time to tell us a bit about their work writing outside of the agency. So with that, welcome to the podcast. Hi, uh, my name is Kirsten Crum. I am the editorial manager at McCann Health, New Jersey. I have been with McCann since 2003. During that time frame, I have become a published writer of romantic fiction. I've been writing in the romantic fiction world for about 15 years now. And much of that time has been while I've also been working here at McCann. Awesome. Hi, I'm Kurt Freed. I oversee the copy uh, to McCann Global Health. I've also been with McCann since 2003. I have an NFA in creative writing, and so on the side, I have written a children's book called Tooth Fairies and Jetpacks. I also write films. Uh, several short films uh, have come out in the past couple of years that I've written. I've also written a number of long-form uh, feature scripts, none of which have yet been made. Hi, my name is Jennifer Grayson. I am an editor at McCann Health, New Jersey. I guess I'm the newest here. I started in November 2020. One of my other many hats is that I am also a published writer in romantic fiction. I have 16 published novels, and uh, I did a lot of that before I got here. And now I juggle both. Wow, that's amazing. I'm in great company. Hi, I'm Colleen Hinesley, and I am a SVP of strategy for McCann Global Health. I'm actually a McCann boomerang. I spent most of my career in advertising here at McCann and left to actually pursue some creative pursuits. But now I'm back. I've just been here about a month. I'm really excited to be here. So in terms of my writing, I tend to do a lot of storytelling and performance, which means I'm also a writer of like personal essays. And uh, my storytelling is sort of akin to a, a mix between stand-up comedy and maybe something like The Moth. So it's a lot of stories about my life. And the big thing that I did recently was I created a solo show about my life growing up behind an Irish bar as a, you know, being a kid growing up in a bar. And it's called That's Not How It Happened. And I toured that all over the country in various fringe festivals in 2019. That sounds so cool. Colin. That is so cool. Just so cool. <laughs> Even at the growing up behind a bar part, but certainly doing a one woman show about it. <laughs> Those are all so amazing. Thank you all for sharing. I mean, what a wide variety of projects between writing books, writing in film, performing. Um, very excited to hear more about it. So Kirsten, what about your outside of work writing have you loved most or found the most exciting? You talk to any writer and it's almost always the least favorite thing is the actual writing uh, <laughs> yeah. because it, we call it butt in chair, hands on keyboard. Uh, what is it? Butt chalk, I think it turns out to be in an acronym. And we have so many procrastinating things that we do before we actually do that. So with that as my lead in, my actual favorite part about writing are the writers conferences. Um, <laughs> I'm a rare extrovert writer. Most writers are have very active inner lives that they put on their page and find interaction with human beings a real challenge. And I feel that for them. I don't have that problem. I love socializing with other writers. I love comparing how we attack our procrastination urges 
I love talking about the craft of writing, getting excited to meet writers who have inspired me, being able over the years to become close friends with um, women writers that have not only inspired my writing journey, but my life journey. I'm a strong believer that every man and woman is the hero and or heroine of their own story. And that is the philosophy with which I approach my writing. And it's also in recent years, the philosophy with which I approach my life. And many of the novelists I've met at writers conferences have inspired me to do that both in writing and in life. And that's my favorite part. I love going to writers conferences. That's great. I could really imagine that writing is such an individual experience, but it's also probably so beautiful to hear about how other people are inspired or operate in their own rights. So that's amazing. It's a legit support group. I mean, we don't stand up and say, hi, my name is Kirsten. I'm a writer, but it is <laughs> legitimately supportive to spend a large part of the writing process alone at your desk, trying to make the people talking in your head become real on the page. And once or twice, or if you're lucky more than that, in, in a calendar year, you can meet with 2,500 of your closest friends who have the same issues. And that aloneness becomes togetherness very quickly. So speaking of inspirations that you find in others, Jen, what has been your biggest inspiration both to your McCann Health work and outside of work projects? Well, they're completely different. Parts of my life, parts of my brain. Feel free to touch on both. Well, uh, for editing, what inspires me is, it's going to sound so like Pollyanna-ish, but um, I've, you know, edited at jobs for products that didn't particularly hold any significance, let's say. And at least when you're doing stuff with this healthcare stuff, you feel like you're a tiny cog in a bigger piece of something that's going to help people. That makes me feel really good about the work. At the end of the whole process, there's going to be a product that helps somebody have a better life. And if I'm the tiniest minuscule piece of that, then that's the inspiration I find working at McCann. As for my writing, what is my inspiration? Um, escapism. Connection. I think any artist, basically, when you boil it down, that that's what we're all trying to do. It's it's about connection. And I've been in my head with stories since I was a little kid. And I guess especially writing romantic fiction, the optimism. Mm -hmm. the, someone said writing romance is a language of hope. Mm -hmm. uh, that's beautiful. It, yeah, like it's it's empowering for its readers to believe that they deserve things. They deserve to find love, to be loved, to have the things they want, to go after their dreams. It's based on optimism because the hard, fast, golden rule of romance is it has to have a happy ending. If it doesn't have a happy ending, it is not a romance. Mm -hmm. um, so even though romance can be formulaic, there's something very comforting to its readers to know that no matter what angst or emotions these characters are going through, it's going to be okay in the end. And mm. I think now more than ever, with mm. the way the whole world has just been upside down the last few years and so much uncertainty, there's such a comfort for romance readers in knowing no matter what happens, it's going to end okay and the book will have a happy ending. Yeah, and I'll piggyback on that a little bit and just say, in addition to fully supporting everything Jen just said, romance fiction is the only subgenre genre of publishing that is written by women for women. Many of the editors are women. Maybe many of the markers are women. Yeah. Um, 
a lot of the components of the publishing house and the imprints are women. Um, and it's very, it's very important to note that as Jen said, it's inspiring for all the reasons she listed. It's also inspiring because of that, you know, we write stuff with women being 90% of our audience and we're telling them it is okay to be happy. It is okay to leave that abusive relationship in strike out and do it. You can do this. Look at how this fictional character has done it. And we very much base that in reality when we're writing our stories as well. And that also, as Jen mentioned, is incredibly inspiring. And anyone who still wants to bag on romance probably hasn't read one in ever or in a very long time because romance has evolved so much from the romances my mom and grandma read. They're very layered and emotional and authentic. I mean, yeah, you know, you still have paranormal and mm. historical and all these, but I write contemporary romance. So I give so much credit to writers in any of the fantasy genres or anything when you're doing world building like that. My brain doesn't work like that. And it's a lot of work and I give them so much credit. I write contemporary, which for me, I want my characters to be authentic. Like you feel like you could go grab a coffee with one or you knew someone like that. Great. Okay. What you said about working in public health communications will resonate with the idea that no one person or no one department carries all of the work to help a certain population, but you're a small part of that wheel getting help to people who need it or getting communication yes. about a product that can help people who need it, which is amazing. And all readers or consumers of art content are looking for escapism in one form or another. Yes. So absolutely yeah, agree with both of those answers not just in romance, in any field, any kind of art, you know? I mean, we all went into lockdown and what did people use as their comfort food? They binged TV shows, they watched movies, they listened to music, they read books. Art matters. Podcasts. Media matters. Art matters. It's, um, and it's not just about escapism. It is about optimism and hope and it is about empowerment and mostly it's about connection. Anybody who creates something is trying to put something out there that will connect with other people, mm -hmm. something that resonates. And that's the goal. Right, Colleen? Absolutely. Right, Kurt? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, all art is inherently optimistic. Like we, we make stuff. We hope that there's somebody on the other end of it who would actually take something away from it. Right. right. And, yeah. yeah. Kurt. Yeah. Of the projects that you've done, mm. what is your favorite project that you've ever written and why? It's an interesting one. I, I would have to say I, I've written a number of feature scripts and there's one called Blur Together. It's a science fiction comedy script and it did very well at something called the Austin Film Festival years ago. Okay. And what it led to was just that community that Kirsten was talking about. Austin Film Festival is an amazing place. I've been there for yeah. years. It's a conference about screenwriting and so there's hundreds of screenwriters there the only time i you know really uh, geeked out over celebrity was when i went and met the guy who wrote die hard which is mm -hmm. one of my all-time favorite movies <laughs> Uh, you know, I've I've met other celebrities, but that's one you know that that I had to have my picture taken. Anyway, the the script you know did very well, and I I talked to various agents, but nothing came of that. But I met all of these other screenwriters, and eventually, that led to somebody who had written children's books, and he gave me that idea. And then another one was I met the people in my New Jersey writing group in Austin people write scripts or they write something and they think, okay, it's going to sell for a bunch of money. That's usually not what comes of any of it. What the best things that come from those is 
the other writers that you meet. Uh, you know, and we have grown up together since then, and a bunch of them have gone off to do amazing things, working at Pixar and all these other things, you know, and, and we all have, have helped each other and read each other's stuff and encouraged each other. And that's been what has meant the most to me, making stuff and not being afraid to just go out and, and make thing, whether or not I can, you know, make any money off of it is, is secondary or tertiary. <laughs> it's probably not going to happen, but that's okay. And just, you know, that's not why I'm here but that's amazing to focus on the passion for it and the experience around it and the people you meet during it versus mm. something out of your control, like what comes out of it. Right. Mm. Well, other writers are the only ones you can talk to about the craft okay. and their eyes don't glaze over. Yeah, yeah. it's true. <laughs> it's true. It's funny, Kurt, because Die Hard is one of those scripts that writing instructors, for lack of a better word, across <laughs> genres use. It is right. a perfect yep. script and how it does its beats and its plot points yeah. and how it turns and ratchets. It keeps getting bad. Now his feet are bleeding. Now he's yes. lost his shirt. Yeah. You know, it right. keeps getting now, worse. People laugh when I say it's my favorite movie because they they expect me. I don't know what they expect me to say, but it isn't that. Um, right. Because it's such a big blow up <laughs> movie, but it's structurally perfect from a writing right. point of view. Yep. You guys are making me want to go do a rewatch with this lens. <laughs> oh, it's you a Christmas should. movie. We watch it every Christmas. It's totally yep. it's definitely worth every the rewatch. Christmas. Okay, so Colleen, how do you feel your life has changed since you began writing and performing? You know, it's so interesting because as I'm listening to all the other panelists today talk, I'm actually writing down so many things. I'm learning very many things and I'm excited to implement them. That's so but in chair, hands on keyboard, being the first one. But that's one of the ways that my life has changed is really access to other artists and writers. I think before I really threw myself into it, I kind of felt like I was alone. I didn't have a community of artists and writers and other creative people that I really felt like I was a part of. And it really changed how I felt about even my own work, because I had a lot of doubt about like, does anybody want to hear this story? Who cares? Like, it's not that interesting. And it wasn't until I started really meeting more people and realizing that, yeah, maybe my story is of a kid growing up in a bar isn't kind of the same as anyone else's story, but people would come up to me and they would tell me that they saw themselves in my story, even if it wasn't one for one. So I really got to connect with people. But there was one time that someone literally came up to me and said, oh my gosh, I also grew up <laughs> in urban Philadelphia. My parents had a bar and it was the craziest thing. I was like, are we related? <laughs> <laughs> That must have been amazing to find someone with a similar life experience to you through your writing. Exactly, exactly. So it's just, it's great to like really realize that there's a, there's a reason why the hero's journey is a thing, right? Because like stories are all very similar to each other. And yet, even though the facts of it are maybe different, the feelings are the same and the emotions are the same and the connections are the same. Yes, exactly. None of us are reinventing the wheel. It's your unique voice that makes it its own unique story. It's what you bring to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly that. People like James Patterson because they know what they're getting in a James Patterson. Yeah. And that's going to give them this really quick, entertaining high and they're never going to remember it. And that's what they want. And that's okay. And that's feeding that need. And that's what I think what Colleen, Kurt, Judd and I, when we're writing, you're doing it as a very solitary experience. But because unlike a stage production, sometimes as Colleen's experience or other means of performance, this is something that Somebody has to read and and ingest, and then the opportunities are few and far between to get that response. But when you do, it's even more powerful for all of that. Mm-hmm. Well, 
that's one nice thing about children's books is that you know mm. one great thing that came from that is going to various schools and and reading and oh, just you know, getting that, that so fun. immediate reaction and you know what if a six-year-old tells you it's their favorite book that counts it doesn't that matter counts. Yeah, that, that counts more that's the best time <laughs> that counts you the most that six-year-old <laughs> that the most because it's like that's good it does because yeah. they're not gonna lie to you they're yeah. not they don't no. care what your reaction is they're just wanting to emote on you what their response right. is it's very genuine yeah. mm. and you know they're shuffling through dozens of kids books and yours mm -hmm. stood out <laughs> that's awesome bravo kurt that's yeah right. i love it at least one <laughs> I had one woman write me that she binge read one of my series while she was in the hospital and oh. it helped her get out of her head. And, you know, you hear something like that, you know, right. and yeah, it's like, you know, you put a book out and once it's out, you're like, well, I hope someone reads it. <laughs> you know, you don't want to go. <laughs> um, so to hear back from anybody is fabulous, right. but to hear that you help them escape their whatever, even just for a few hours to me is an honor that. Mm -hmm. They would choose to spend their time reading your work. So if a six-year-old tells you that's his favorite book, that's like it's a great of honor, man. That's awesome. Yeah. It's but, funny because most people are being like, oh, they don't want to hear from us. I really liked it, but they're not, that person's not going to hear from me. Oh my God, we love hearing from we you. As long as it's good <laughs> stuff, we love it. It's the bad stuff we don't want to hear. We'll never write again. But yeah, it's funny how reticent people can be because they don't feel like their opinion has value. And we're here to tell you it has value to us. Yeah, there's plenty of loud people out there who have no problem doing their opinions. So be one of the good ones. Also, writing has always just been a very solitary profession and a lot of alone time. And then thanks to the internet between just talking to other writers, going to conferences, finding people, like Colleen said, you find your community mm. and it's opened so many doors for so many people to just not feel alone as they're creating, which mm. is great. And incidentally, it is a number one way of how we procrastinate. <laughs> that too. <laughs> Twitter. Twitter is the culprit. I could also imagine that things like was good reach. job, I would be the head of that company. If, mm -hmm. if I could be the head of the procrastination company. Mm -hmm. You would have some serious competition for that title. Well, I'd apply to be vice president, but I'm procrastinating. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of not feeling alone, Kirsten, have you been able outside of this podcast to connect with other McCann Health employees through writing? And if so, how? Yeah, I have been. Prior to quarantine, I was very honored to be invited to do a small presentation for our agency about writing romantic fiction and some of the things that Jen and I have mentioned here about it being written by and for women for the most part, et cetera. And really kind of shine the light on that and my own writing as well. I really appreciate it that recognition, but also not of myself only, but of what I do. And that's been very cool. We have four published writers actually on the editorial staff at McCann Health New Jersey in different genres. We definitely have that as a thing in common. So it makes our departmental meetings sometimes fun when we're all talking a special language that writers know about writing things. And I do think it's also 
helped with my job of editing in the, just the wordsmithing. Um, we do tend to be very clinical. We have to be very clinical. There's not a lot of room in our words for creativity. We often are able to have a little creativity in our artwork, et cetera, or some of the extra things we do at, at congresses, et cetera. But our words are very regimented and we have to be careful in our choice. So I do think there are times when my writing experience outside the agency has helped me support the writers on my teams in helping to craft that language and having that experience in non-formal language and lending that lens to my projects. I certainly hope it's been beneficial for my writers. It is my goal that it be an asset. So hopefully it has been. But overall, you know, as I mentioned with our conferences, that was my PTO time. That would be my PTO time to go into a conference and the support of the agency for us in those realms to have that time to go and do things that are disconnected from our agency life has been always super supportive. My first book was published. My boss gave me a little publishing party in the agency with my teams and everybody came by and really gave me some special time there with my teammates to recognize my out of office accomplishment, which was super. I, I won a couple awards with my books and those two have been recognized by the agency. So that sense that our agency gives that supportive sense for that creative output we do. I think our network recognizes the asset that is to our nine to five work, our day jobs, as we hashtag it. I've been very appreciative to have that support over the years. That's awesome. And congrats on being awarded on your work. That's amazing. And Colleen, have you found ways to tie in your passion for creative writing and performance to your day-to-day agency work as well? Always. Well, you know, I've always been a performer, even at work. (laughs) Always always work in the room. (laughs) I feel that, Colleen. I do. Shocker. Uh. (laughs) But you know, the thing that really has changed for me is that I think I've gotten a much better sense of who I am. I used to sort of try to pretend to be somebody I wasn't. I tried to fit into this like corporate mold and I had the Kate Spade handbag and the early aughts, the whole thing. And then I kind of at some point realized like I loved this line that I heard from somebody a few years ago, which was the thing that makes you strange is the thing that makes you powerful. And when I finally realized that, yeah, it really opened me up in a lot of ways. And I was able to bring a lot of that energy and passion and weirdness into my work. And it actually helped me a lot. It changed my career, really. I kind of can't believe I spent so many years trying to pretend that I was this really super kind of serious corporate buttoned up person when clearly I'm a total whack. And I love it. (laughs) Great. Embrace the weird, my friend. Yep. Do you feel like that came from your show? That sense of recognition of yourself? You know what? It came, it happened before I actually wrote the show. It was actually one of the things that was a catalyst for helping me realize that I could do it. Yeah. So it, so I was already writing on my own and I was already doing sort of some small things, but I really hadn't jumped. I looked at it like a cute little hobby and like, I didn't really tell a lot of people about it. And then I realized, well, wait a minute, why am I trying to live two different lives? Let me just do the whole thing all at once. Right. And performing such a huge asset, especially now that we're in Teams and Zooms calls, being able to bring life to a presentation, like that is probably makes the difference between something you don't retain anything from and something you retain everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's so important. So, Kurt, 
Have you found that writing outside of work and working in film has altered how you write at work? We heard a bit about how it alters how Kirsten edits. And what about your writing? I think it does, and it, it's made me understand what's possible. Like the children's book, uh, I should mention that the illustrator was an art director I used to work yes. with, Patrick Meehan. Beautiful, beautiful artist. And it's been translated into German by yet another former McCann employee, Sandra Golbicki. So mm -hmm. connecting with all of these other people and making these things together was a really cool part of this. And just realizing that we could, a lot of these skills that we learn in advertising are easily translated into the you know, book publishing world, or not easily, but I mean, they are translatable. But also, I think it's changed how people see me. Like, I think without all of that, generally, my experience has been working in very clinical oncology, high science things. And so people tend to see me that way, and they don't realize, oh, wait, this guy... He has an MFA in creative writing. He doesn't have a science degree. He does all these other things. And I know my current job, part of what attracted the creative director was seeing that I had done all of these other things outside yeah. awesome. the very uh, straightforward uh, clinical work that is very useful and, and, and great to do, but it's it's only one side of, of that. Mm -hmm. And you've worked in so many different atmospheres and fields between children's book and then in film and writing feature films. Right. Mm -hmm. It's two totally different ends of the spectrum. Yeah. And you'd never know sometimes working with people what they do outside of work. I remember even with you, I didn't see it until you put in a Teams chat that you had a screenplay presenting somewhere. I was like, wow, that's so cool. You'd never know. <laughs> yeah. Work coming on. Kurt, didn't you have a quarantine project as well? I remember you yeah, sharing that um, too. Yeah, actually, this weekend, one of them is screening uh, one of the short films I wrote over the beginning of the pandemic is this web series called Viral Vignettes. And it's been made with these you know, really big name actors that the director and producer knew. And so one of them that I wrote called Jack's Inferno stars Barry Bostwick and Fred Melamed from, uh, from WandaVision. Oh. It's, screening, it's screening this weekend uh, on Friday at the New York City Independent Film Festival. That's <laughs> amazing. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And so I did a couple of those, uh, three of those. And that's been a lot of fun. Like, it's it's been so weird. Like, this has happened as we've all been sitting on Zoom. But it, again, it's an interesting thing of, like, yes, the, the director knew these people. But essentially, we made these films for zero money on Zoom and Teams and whatever. You know, they go out and they've, you know, people are seeing them. So it just gives you another idea. You can just make stuff. Yeah. What Colleen was saying, I felt that, too, that... Like a long time ago, I was just waiting for people to tell me it's okay here. Okay, yes, we will make your feature film. Mm. That's not what's going to happen. You got to go and just make stuff on your own. Mm -hmm. And you mm -hmm. have to give yourself permission to do that. That's been a big realization of the last several years for me that you can just do these things on your own and not wait for someone else to give permission. Yeah, we've had that similarly in romantic fiction where the independent publishing that sprung up where you're utilizing the online systems to publish your books without an agent, without a publisher. And there are some people extremely successful at it. Uh, there are various philosophies, various ways of doing it, various kinds of writing, whether it's, a, as Jen mentioned, something that's quickly consumed for entertainment or if it's a deeper dive in a longer novel. But similarly to Kurt. And what Kurt just said, that kind of giving yourself permission to do it without the New York publishers and go forth and yeah. put your stuff out there has changed the industry for sure. 
That's awesome. And I really hope that resonates with anyone who would listen or anyone looking to get started in writing within McCann or someone who's listening to this podcast who wants to get started in writing. So Jen, what have you found works best, speaking of that, in navigating writing in addition to your day job? <laughs> For me, that's such a loaded question. I mean, I wrote my whole life. I wrote in school. I was that kid in high school that instead of paying attention in math, I was writing stories in my notebooks and all the teachers knew about my notebooks and would take them away. So it's always been, I have to write, I have to write. And then I didn't write for like a decade because I had these two beautiful boys that never slept. And when they started sleeping again, I started writing again, which is not a coincidence. And at that time I was a stay-at-home mom in my mid thirties, I would write when they went to school. My biggest bursts of energy, my best energy period is in the morning. So I would take them to school. I would write four or five hours and then I'd pick them up from school whenever, you know, whatever, and be mom. When I went back to work full time, my writing was absolutely the thing that was the most impacted as my new life took shape. But it's like Kirsten said, but in seat, you know, there's no other way to do it. You find the time, you make the time. And it is hard, especially for other people doing different things. But I'm an editor. I'm staring at words all day long. So the last thing I want to do on my free time sometimes is sit down in front of a computer and stare at more words. But Mm -hmm. the stories, if they want to be told, you can't not do it. Mm -hmm. It's just... It comes out. It's so you find the time. Yeah. Um, And you make it work. To build on that a little bit, like I was talking about my writing group, and that's also helpful to me because it's going to happen every month. And the way we do it is really cool. Like it's one three hour meeting once a month. And so what we do is there's no there's no reading ahead of time. You somebody brings in a script and we do a table read and then we talk about it. (laughs) So what's cool about that is whoever's up for that month like they, they're the one busy writing but there's no homework ahead of time for any of the other people it's just you go to that and you know that's the reading and you enjoy this movie basically you're reading it along with everybody else and so i find that works really well for me just because i never know when i'm going to have the time and there's enough of us in the group that somebody's going to have something to bring in but finding that community of people that are going to encourage you and you see them making stuff and we help each other out on film shoots or whatever and and it it really works out great but just finding that for yourself i find very helpful Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely i belong to a group like that as well kirsten and i were both members of romance writers of america which has that's like the big umbrella and they have a bunch of local chapters and i belonged i don't anymore but for a long time, I belonged to the Long Island Romance Writers. I'm on Long Island. I'm not in New Jersey. And it met once a month on Saturdays for four hours. And having that touchstone of other writers and knowing that once a month you had to, you know, this is your time. If you're serious about it, you make the time. If you if you can find an hour to watch TV, how about instead of watching TV, you do something for yourself and write what you've been thinking about writing. The friends that I made from there, three of them in particular are three of my closest friends on top of just being a little you know group of friends we all brainstorm together we ping ideas off each other we beta read for each other so yeah to have other people is so important and it does help bring you but you know you also have to do it yourself 
I hate writing. I love having written. It's <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> you just you know that you find the time. Yeah, Nora Roberts has a great quote which I will edit for this podcast, uh, where she says, "I can't. I can edit crap. I can't edit nothing. I can fix it. I can't fix nothing. And if you don't write something, yep. you can't fix it to get it polished up and something that can be consumed by somebody else." And we talked earlier about our keen procrastination skills. The flip <laughs> side of that coin is a real need for discipline and that whole button chair hands on keyboards. And it's hard. It seems easy to say, but it's hard in having these groups, these accountability partners, these beta readers, these critique partners is essential for that journey for sure. So in addition to finding a community and getting started, what advice would you offer to someone interested in starting a creative side gig that doesn't know how to get started, whether it be books or film or performance? Use the internet. Use the internet. It is such a tool. You can look up whatever you're interested in and find groups or organizations or other people. Social media. The uh, The reason I got published were the people I met on Twitter a decade ago. Mm-hmm. Use the internet. It has everything you need to find whatever you need as a concept to get started. Yeah, I mean, find models of what you want to do. Like for the children's book, a friend of mine had done a very similar, like he made his own children's book and he did it this way. And I, you know, I was like, okay. And I would just talk to him and say, okay, how did you do this? Like a really specific you know, nuts and bolts sort of like, did you use Amazon or Ingram Spark or what, you know, what did you do that we would talk about? So just go out there and find examples and talk to these people whether it's on twitter or whatever and people yeah. if you're genuine and polite and not being a jerk people are often happy to help yeah absolutely people are your greatest resource i would also say you know have a talk with yourself a little bit before you start yeah. ask yourself a question like what's holding me back and realize that all the story that you're going to tell yourself is just the story to keep you from doing it mm-hmm. you know we all do that we all try to talk ourselves out of everything so just like have a little grace and a little kindness for yourself that you, if you haven't started what you think you should start doing, or if you see somebody else who's doing the thing and you think, how do they have the energy and the time and the will to do this? Just, it's okay. You know, like you'll do it when you're ready, but you are ready. Like you're ready now. Like you can do it right now if you want to. It's never too late. Mm-hmm. I mean, Colleen went deep. Yeah. And I'll say a lot of, for sure, everything, everything that everybody said and to Colleen's point, a lot of people will come and say, yeah, you know, I've always wanted to write a book, but I just never had the time. I could if I wanted to. And we're all <laughs> like, you know, we've all been there, but we actually did it. So for sure, do it, pull that trigger. I would also say very specifically, not just film and TV and books, but pick what you're passionate about. Yeah. Start by identifying what you're truly passionate about, what makes you excited, because you're going to need that passion when the practicality of it gets difficult, when no one's buying your books, when no one's coming to your show, when you wonder if anybody's hearing your voice and you're screaming into the silence kind of feeling that little esoteric there. But when you're passionate about it, I have looked at 
not writing so many times. I have stopped and gone, this is ridiculous. I haven't written in X number of years. I've lost all my contacts. The, the, the thing is so different. I don't like Amazon publishing. I can't live it without Amazon. And I've stopped and, and looked at it. Well, what if I did stop? Who's it going to hurt? It's going to hurt me. I have put a lot of passion and a lot of care and a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of angst into what I have accomplished. And I'm not done yet. So pick what you're passionate about because you're going to need that and that's okay. But it helps when you know you're doing something that you absolutely love that's worth it. And then my second practical advice would be find that support group. If your passion is making birdhouses, there is a group out there that will help you learn the craft of making birdhouses to the excellent level that you can achieve. Just find it. They're out there and that's going to bring Kurt's point into play. Ask people that those groups are going to help you hone your craft, hone your skill, and have the baseline that you need to make your voice and your unique perspective come out the best. Awesome. Yes. That was yes. all fantastic yes. advice. And I hope it really jumpstarts whoever listens to this podcast who really wants to pursue something and doesn't know how. So before we part ways, a little rapid fire, could everyone please just share a project available to the public that you'd like to share with the network or whoever ends up listening? Okay, I'll go first. As I mentioned, I have 16 books. They are available anywhere books are found. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, whatever. You can find it by looking up Jennifer Grayson, my name. All right, I'll go next. My children's book, Tooth Fairies and Jetpacks, is available in very similar places, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, et cetera, et cetera, online. And if you happen to need a German translation, I got that too. Yavo. Die Wissenschaft den We had to change the title because uh, there isn't a good translation for jetpack in German that I can oh, understand. That's hilarious. <laughs> Learn something new every day. Yeah. <laughs> well, similarly, my books are available at most digital platforms for reading. My first book, Sealed with a Twist, or you can find it under my my name, Kirsten Crumb. Easily downloadable and available to read. I'm fortunate that I have several t- colleagues in the agency who have read and enjoyed my books. So hopefully that will continue the people enjoying them. Awesome. And mine, uh, you can find some of my writing on my website. It's ColleenHinesley.com. The pandemic really gave me a lot of free time because I wasn't working and I wrote a lot. So you can catch up on all of my inner thoughts. Cool. Right there. (laughs) Thank you all again so much for joining us for this episode. That's all we've got for today. So you can subscribe to The Truth Well Spoken on your podcast network of choice and let us know what you'd like to hear on future episodes by emailing podcast at mccannhealth.com. Our podcast producers are Dina Ragab, Abby Daly, Jay Brakowski, and Cassidy Cardone. Until next time, I'm Dina Ragab, and this has been Truth Well Spoken. <laughs>